Pints and Pies podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Daniel and this guy Mike Eagle is there as well. Tights and Pies podcast. Tights and Podcast, meow meow. Yeah, we're a podcast, meow meow. We like to talk them, and then we talk them. All we do is talk them, cause we're a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with the sincerity and hilarity that it deserves. I'm Halkeem, the African Dream, better known as okay. Hal Loveland. All right. Hey, I didn't write it, but I'm gonna say it. 100%. We're going to go B's to the W. <laughs> I am joined in the booth by my fellow leader in the nation of conversation, the queen of smarks, Danielle Radford. Hi. And making his triumphant return and joining us live from the great white north, the king of song style, Open oh, Mike oh, Eagle. Oh, oh. That's that a good one. Good. That tickled me out. Thank you. Well, welcome back, buddy. Yeah, Thanks. welcome back. You didn't... Um, Hal was doing guitar, like doing a guitar thing when he was doing it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> he did a little wah, wah, like the guitar hands. It's a power chord. It's beautiful. It's important. Coming up on this week's show, the face that runs the place is now the heel who sealed the deal. CM got punked, the current performance of the WWE Performance Center, and a lot more. But first, a couple of weeks ago, Los Angeles was host to an event called Battle of Los Angeles, put on by Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. And if you don't already know out there, PWG is a prominent indie wrestling promotion here in SoCal. Our own Open Mike Eagle was there. Lucky. What was it like? Give us a report. Man, I got to tell you, I'm the kind of person I don't often experience the FOMO. Uh, <laughs> when most people are, are watching a television show at the same time or whatever, I typically don't care. And I've been to PWG before, and when I see that there's PWG going on and I can't go, I usually don't feel two ways about it at all. But I went to Bowler Friday night and had the time of my dang life, and <laughs> and it was so uh, it was so much good that for the rest of the weekend I had the most intense FOMO that I felt in years, like in years. I was just angry all weekend that I couldn't go back and see the other two nights. I think I saw the best thing I've ever going to see in my life wrestling wise, which was when Will Ospreay wrestled Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It was real good, y'all. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like such a dope match. I was so bummed that I got that I didn't get to get tickets. Oh, it was it was good. Oh, but also I got the homie who always has the secondary ticket market hookup. So we'll have to plan a tights and fights takeover. We're gonna we gotta take the show over. Yeah, take over uh, yeah, Reseda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was great. Dave Meltzer was there. I was like at a wrestling event with Dave Meltzer. Oh my God, he's always there and he always has like the least impressed face. (laughs) But there's a picture floating around of him that night that I was there because they did um, the Young Bucks who had on Meltzer tights. They had tights with Dave Meltzer's face all over them. (laughs) They did a double Meltzer driver and there's a picture with Dave Meltzer looking on in awe. Uh, <laughs> as they do the double Meltzer driver. It is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Because just a just single 
a single Meltzer driver is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> what is a Meltzer driver? I don't. I somebody tell me what a Meltzer driver. It's is. like a spike tombstone kind. Yeah. Of? Oh wow. Oh, I forgot who. And then another of. dude like kicks or something on the way down. Oh jeez. <laughs> it's so much. It's so it great. Is. It's a lot. And if you guys don't watch Ring of Honor, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. At all. But it was incredible. Trust me. You got to go to PWG. Everybody has to. It's the best wrestling fan experience I've ever had. Very very life. true story. I believe we're talking about the Melter Driver. I believe was it Cornette or Russo, or one of them that was like. If I was doing a promotion and someone hit that move and they let someone kick out of it, everyone in the ring would be fired. That sounds like Cornette. That I think sounds it like Cornette. Yeah. Is it true that Cody Rhodes was there? Cody Rhodes was there the next night, and I would assume the night after, too, but he wasn't there. Well, he probably was there, but he didn't wrestle that night or come out or anything. Okay. I heard William Regal was there. Regal's always there, too, because oh. he scouts there a lot. By the way, I just looked at a video of a Meltzer driver, and it's I, you should never kick out of that. <laughs> you should you know, never some of the stuff, of that. and I love the Young Bucks, but some of the stuff Cornette says about them is right. Like he says, for instance, that they they uh they do too many super kicks and they water down the move some. And I understand it's their thing, mm -hmm. but they do it like seventy times in a match. And, See, for, uh, yeah, for me with the with their super kicks, I I don't, I don't even count them as real super kicks because you can't. Because if you do, <laughs> then you're just like that man doesn't have a jaw anymore. Right. Yeah, that's one of Jim Ross's things about wrestling is. If you bring back the closed fist strikes, which I believe they have in WWE, they were outlawed for a long time, quote unquote, because the open palm slap makes more sense. Was a closed fist, if you clock somebody, if Brock Lesnar clocks you with a with his fist in your jaw, you'd be knocked out. Why are you right. not bleeding? So that that idea of like the super kick is the is the go night night. That's the night night move. Yeah, it's night night. You do sort of water the, water that stuff down. But I I've never been to an indie wrestling event. I never have. I mean, I've only been to PWG twice now, and it's my only uh, indie experience. But from the indie tapes that I've seen from all around the world, this seems to be a, a magical experience all its own. The rest of them, you know, the wrestling seems to be good, but it's not the same atmosphere. I think you got to experience the PWG atmosphere. I think it's very special. Well, if you're in SoCal, check it out. And if you haven't already, be sure to check us out on twitter.com forward slash tights fights and that's where you'll be able to see mike's pictures of the night including i think we have a shot of the young bucks wearing those dave <laughs> Meltzer tights oh yeah i was i was sitting seated right beneath their butts i got a really good shot <laughs> dave, dave Meltzer on butts that's the promise of tights fights you're on welcome. twitter now let's get started with our headliner segment where we break down the latest pro wrestling news and put it in context for you SmackDown has held its inaugural solo pay-per-view entitled Backlash. That was an eight-match card that actually left a lot of people really happy. And after SummerSlam, I think we all needed that. I'm going to tell you that I am unabashedly blue brand. I was having. I know we're, we're supposed to save the conversation for when we're recording, but when any combination of us is in a room outside of recording <laughs> this, we're talking about wrestling, and I was going on and on about what I love about SmackDown. And this pay-per-view was a was sort of a microcosm of that, in that out of eight matches, I'd say the the Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton match was the disappointment. And Randy Orton was legit. He's concussed, so he's not cleared to wrestle yet. Um, so I'll even forgive that one. But all the matches on that card mattered, and I felt like the right people went over in each match. And everybody looked like a star. Nobody got squashed. I, I haven't seen the pre-show match 
with uh, Apollo Crews and Baron Corbin, but I heard even that was a good match, and that's with no build-up to it at all. So I implore you to check it out if you haven't already. The Miz-Ziggler match for me was a show-stealer, although the main event was fantastic. I just love that match, and I, and I have an affinity for the IC title, so I like to see it being elevated, and that's what both of those guys are doing. Uh, Danielle, what moment stood out the most for you from Sunday night? Um, well, aside from the fact that everyone is doing these longer matches, and that was great. It was fantastic to see some of these people do the longer stuff. I, y'all already knew I was going to, but I'm obviously like, I, I loved the women's match. For some of these women, even on their own solo stuff, this is the longest that they've been in a ring fighting. We got to see Naomi be awesome. Yeah, she had that one botched spot. I'm going to go ahead and say that wasn't completely her fault. Um, But I would say out of everybody in that ring, Becky is always a star. You know Becky's going to be great. But Alexa and Naomi, like, they... They came, They showed up ready to go and ready to show, like, what it is they can do. And everyone all night was, like, hitting moves that you've never seen them do before or hitting stuff better than they've ever done it. Miz figured out how a figure four worked. That's dope. Like, <laughs> but I would say more than anything, I really appreciated that all of the matches had some time so that they could breathe and really get into that you know we talk about telling the story of the match in order to do that you kind of got to have some time and i felt like all of these really did um up and down i like the entire card except for kane (laughs) surprising no one he was he who shall not be kane (laughs) (laughs) did you like the show mike yeah, I thought it was really great. And it, what it made me think about was that first week after the brand split where you had, you know, the first Raw and the first SmackDown post split. And Raw won that week by giving you, um, the giving the crowd the moments that they wanted uh, that first show. They gave us Sasha winning and they gave us Finn being elevated uh, coming out of that first show. And what I thought that SmackDown did really interestingly on this pay-per-view was to build up to some good moments to give us at the show. We had two really genuinely feel-good moments. Mm-hmm. I think one in, uh, in Becky winning the title and one in Heath Slater winning the titles to get the contract. And even aside from just those two, I just can't tell you how much I found myself smiling at the conclusions and pacings and feeling of all of these matches. Like Daniel said, I think everybody who was supposed to go over went over. I'm not a super big fan of, you know, the cheap endings of uh, the Miz match or the main event. I do think with those matches being as good as they were, uh, and I know you're supposed to do that to get the heel heat, but I think if you're going to have cheap endings – then you got to just really make sure that the, the face heel alignment is right. Because if, if if we're cheering AJ, as people clearly were, I think to kind of have him cheat to win kind of puts us in another weird position going forward. But I really did enjoy the show. I enjoyed the show a lot. I enjoyed it in a way that I haven't enjoyed a WWE pay-per-view in a while. Well, let's jump into the main event then. So we saw AJ Styles pick up the biggest win of his career after he pinned Dean Ambrose with a low-blow Styles Clash combination to become the new WWE World Champion. So we're all fans of AJ on the show. And this uh, comes on the heels of another guy who were marks for getting a world title, Kevin Owens. So, Mike, my question for you is, how would you compare your feelings about AJ's win to Kevin Owens' win? I mean, they both were cheap heel wins. 
somebody else. I mean, you could say for Kevin Owens, it was even more because somebody else had to do the work for him. That aside, how they won the title, did AJ's win have more of an impact on you or less of an impact or same? How did you feel about it? I do feel like AJ winning so close to Kevin winning did. It does take a little bit of the luster off for me. I'm not getting to enjoy that finally how awesome it is that AJ won the title because it came so close after uh, having that having a very similar feeling for Kevin Owens and and like you just said I also have that similar feeling of them not being put over quite as strong as I wanted I would like for AJ to have been put over Ambrose just as strongly as he was put over Cena I think it would be great to build him up as a character who's so good in the ring that he's winning and beating people clean and other people are having to cheat to beat him even if they aren't necessarily heels and I, and I do think like I keep saying week after week, I do think they have to do something to fix the face heel alignment. I think you've got two heel champions across both brands that people are actively cheering. And I just think that we, you know, we need to do something about that. I mean, it's a good point. And the clean win over, over Cena made a big statement. If they're going to make him heel, it's hard to avoid making him a cool heel where he's just better than everybody else. And he, like, that's a monster heel to me. The monster heel doesn't need to cheat. Monster heel's just a monster, just too tough to beat, and is a bully. Whereas Styles is like a little, like that little dog that's real annoying and won't let go of you and won't shut up about how great he is and then cheats to win. But they are both similar in that they're guys that you get the sense Vince McMahon didn't really want <laughs> them around. He don't want none? He don't want none. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to pull up those lyrics again and start doing AJ Styles theme song. That's another thing that was happening before we recorded, and you will never hear it. Julian did not record it, so don't request it on Twitter. <laughs> it, to me, it felt good to see both of them win. Owens was more of a shock, and Styles was more of like, that was a really good match, and could have had Ambrose win or had Styles win, and I would have been okay with it. And I... I love seeing Styles with a belt because it keeps that character going. And if Styles fe felt inevitable, mm. um, and and Owens feels like obviously they would have taken more time with him had Finn not gotten injured, but it definitely like Styles has always felt like well yeah he's getting it like any day now. Whereas with Owens, it was a pleasant surprise because while I wanted it, I wasn't sure if they were going to give it to him right now, which I'm super duper happy that they did. And I'm okay with the fact that it happened in the way that it did. Owens had way more of the surprise factor yeah. with, with trips coming out and everything. And unfortunately, man, just that authority interrupting stuff is just always like, it takes the kneecaps out of my enthusiasm sometimes. That's true. Owens is part of a larger story, whereas AJ Styles is the story. But yeah. we'll see how that develops. Let's, let's actually jump from the world of predetermined fights to the world world of real ones as far as we know yeah that one was pretty predetermined too though <laughs> i called it i was it last week or the week before it was two weeks ago yeah uh, if you don't know what we're talking about former wwe champion cm punk made his ufc debut on saturday night against mickey gall and if you missed punk's fight here's a quick recap he got his ass kicked and it took almost as long as it did for me to say those sentences <laughs> real hard real yeah. hard Real hard he got hit. He walked out to that octagon, too cold a personality, just like he did at the WWE uh, ring during his, his final run. And then the guy didn't get in a single moment of offense. 
He tapped out to a rear naked chokehold two minutes into round one. Punk did give a speech about how much this night meant to him right after the fight. Let's hear some of that. I know there's a lot of doubters, but listen, life's about, you know, falling down and getting up. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down, it's about getting back up. So if there's any kid out there that's told by a parent or a coach or a teacher or somebody that they look up to, somebody that's supposed to push them and believe in them and they're told no, don't listen to them. Believe in yourself. Sometimes the outcome isn't always what you desire it to be. But the true failure in life is not trying at all. I know that sounds preachy and kind of weird for a guy who just got beat up, but This is the time of my life. Thank you, Cleveland. Hey, uh, watch your language, cauliflower ear. <laughs> nah, bruh, uh, getting hit in the face real hard when you decide that it, that you can take on someone who's been doing it for 10 years, mm-hmm. that that can be counted as failure. <laughs> well, then the flip side happened with this moment from the press conference afterwards. But are you are you proud of you know what you put out there tonight? <laughs> I, I don't think. I, th- there's there's probably an alternate reality where I win and I'm still disappointed in myself. Uh, that's just that's just who I am. You know, uh, I'm I'm just really really hard on myself. I you know, I lost, and it sucks, and it was lopsided, and it's upsetting. But you know, I I know I'm better than that. <clears throat> Punk to your to your left. I'm curious. Punk uh, to your left. Here comes a fist. Watch out. <laughs> Mickey calls back. He's still upset you didn't shake his hand at the weigh-in. Punk duck. Danielle, you were watching live. Yeah. How did it feel to watch it go down? Bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... I, um, And again, I think if you follow me on Twitter, you kind of know this. I talk... I talk mad shit about everything, even if I love it. Um, that's just like who I am. That's my personality. I have talked about it before. I'm a huge punk fan, even though I know that um, he's a dick. I think he's great. The pipe bomb has brought me back. Um, so I like morbid curiosity. I was home and I wanted to watch it. And it just like, you know, cult of personality comes on. And I was like, oh, right. That's that thing that I love. Like, there it is. And then he walks out, and he looks kind of nervous still. And then he gets to the ring, and people are cheering, and he's walking into a ring, and Cult of Personality's playing. And you can just see him, like, become CM Punk. And then he got uh, hit in the face a bunch. But before then, it was kind of, <laughs> you know, it was one of those moments where it was like, I almost wish for his sake we could just freeze that moment in time, right, as he's getting into the ring and he's about to, like, live this dream of his Yeah. Um, before the dream got punched in the face and ear and body. Dang. Yeah, I mean, look, I give him full credit for walking away when he felt it was time to walk. I mean, he's a man uh, who... Whether you agree with him or disagree with him, if he has a principle, he sticks to that principle and follows through with it. And he decided he wanted to be a UFC fighter, and it did not go so well. He apparently wants to keep doing it, but it is bad when almost the entirety of your fight can be summarized with a gif. Like, I saw a Mm. gif of it. That is a short fight. Yeah, it's not much. And I I think, like, there are some, and Mike, let me know if you feel this way. Maybe maybe you don't. But I kind of felt like if he got his ass beat hard enough that he would go, oh, I should go back to what I'm really good at and do, like, a limited schedule with the WWE. That's my selfish fandom kind of poking out. What about you, Mike? Well, you know, we're talking about a guy who was so stubborn 
that everybody in the world told him he was going to get his ass whooped and he went and fought anyway. <laughs> uh, this same dude I, and who he, who he has said numerous times he will never go back to the WWE. A, a dude who is like currently embroiled in a lawsuit with them. I heard or read recently that him and Colt Cabana have fallen out even. Oh yeah, I read that too. Oh over, no, uh, Apparently Colt Cabana was backstage at a WWE event recently and Punk took that some kind of way. But I, I bring all this up to say the man is stubborn beyond belief. And I just, I, I really don't see him ever going back to the WWE. If he goes back to pro wrestling, I could see New Japan. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe he'll show up at PWG one year. Who knows? But I, I don't see him going back to the WWE for a long time. I feel like he's one of those guys. Like, if you see documentaries with him, he still talks very much about feeling like his parents didn't treat him well enough. Yep. He's a grown man. You know, yeah. he's almost 40 years old. I think his ability to hold on to a grudge is superhuman. Yeah. So I don't think we should expect to see him back in the WWE anytime soon. You know, and at least when he leaves UFC, because it sounds like he's not going to get another fight, at least um, we don't have to worry that he's taking AJ with him because she never started. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, b- before we wrap up this segment, let's just address a few things that happened on Raw. Uh, we were recording this on Tuesday night, so this was last night. The card for Clash of Champions is beginning to take shape. We've got Sasha versus Charlotte. Owens versus Rollins, the what will be we we imagine the blow off of the best of seven series between Sheamus and Cesaro, and so on. After SmackDown put on such a great show with Backlash, what stood out to you as the most fun part of Monday Night's show? There was a bunch of stuff that happened I was into, um, even the things that I wasn't expecting to be into, like Jack Swagger match with Jinder <laughs> Mahal. The fact that gender goes over and there's some intrigue after with where Jack's going to end up, they're really finding ways to keep things interesting, especially in places where you think they wouldn't be. In the main event, for instance, I was very crestfallen when, you know, <laughs> Seth Rollins comes in to interfere and you're like, oh, well, then they're going to, you know, you just you did, didn't want to see that match finish that way. And then for Mick Foley to come out and get in Seth's face and rather than end it there for Mick Foley to restart the match, I thought was a very interesting use of Mick and a great way to keep that storyline going forward and actually have the match finish. And then Rusev comes out and interferes. So that storyline continues. It wasn't backlash because it's three hours and it's TV and the stars on Raw tend to be. It's it's not the brand where they're going to have the matches that I think they're going to have um, mm. with the SmackDown brand. But I do appreciate the way that they're starting to uh, appreciate and give material to the talent all the way up and down the card. And I thought, you know, last night was a pretty good show. Well, Danielle, do you think that Raw is going to be able to have a stellar showing at Clash of Champions if SmackDown had a backlash? I mean, is that because the, we're, 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 we're staring down the barrel of those three matches I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And we've got in all likelihood the new day continuing their feud with the club which is now a match we've seen in almost every possible combination mm-hmm. leading up to this pay-per-view so that there are parts of the of the card that feel fresh and parts of it that don't feel particularly fresh do you think they're going to be able to put on the the same kind of show or a better show or or is it different i mean i just i think the thing with raw is that raw is just like it's comfortable 
You know, and so I think that the raw pay-per-view is just going to feel like every other raw pay-per-view ever does. In the same way that, like, SmackDown were the ones who had to do something new to separate themselves and not just be the B-show. And Raw just kind of got to stay the same, except with, like, all, or not all, but most of the bigger names. I think the pay-per-view is just going to be the same as a raw pay-per-view. And, you know, some of those are great and then some of those are pay-per-views. So we will see. Um, <laughs> honestly, like at this point, I'm not. I'm trying really hard not to come down on one or the other and give everyone a shot. And so hopefully, I mean, I I think at this point the bar has been raised and they better be paying attention. But, you know, if, if, if there's one thing that gave me hope about Raw going forward that happened last night, it is the course correction of the New Day and Gallows yes, and Anderson feud. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they saw that Gallows and Anderson doing a comedy bit went flat and they addressed it by having that become part of the storyline going forward and having Gallows and Anderson become a couple ass kickers again, that gives me great hope that they're actually paying attention and they're using what happened to kind of take things forward. Well, well, time will tell, as it always does with WWE. Yeah, no, that had to happen. I'm happy they acknowledged that because they're not a funny yeah. team. They're funny dudes in talking, but they're ass kickers. Make them kick ass. They're not even funny dudes in talking. It, it's a bunch <laughs> of like they 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 rifled off a series of dad jokes for a month. I like dad jokes. I get yeah, look. They're I maybe they're both dads. Who knows? They ain't my daddy. Don't want to hear those jokes from them. <laughs> Get in there and kick somebody in the face, gallows. That about does it for the news. Let us know what we missed, okay? Join our Facebook group and make the post yourself to get the conversation started. Find the group at Facebook.com slash groups slash tights fights. After the break, the WWE Performance Center has been up and running for over three years now. How well is it working? That's coming up in just a minute on Tights and Fights. Are you a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation? Well, that's weird because it's a corny show. But my friends Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica do a lovely podcast about it. It's called The Greatest Generation and it's on MaximumFun.org. I thought that this podcast was a bad idea, but I was wrong. Please listen to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin. With me in the booth to talk about all things wrestling are... Danielle Radford. And from Canada... Michael Eagle Hart. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you, you s- guys, you guys, you guys. Yesterday, yeah. uh, yesterday I met the uh, the son of Stu Hart's plumber. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Whoa. <laughs> Did he have some stories about like working on the pipes in the dungeon while people were getting stretched out on those old not, mats they had down there? Not even one. But oh. he was the son of Stu Hart's plumber, and I was very excited about that. That is exciting. Son of a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> American. <laughs> Canadian. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> Every week, we like to take a look at one particular corner of the wrestling world that deserves extra attention. This is our main event. Ding, ding, ding. This week. 
A little over three years ago, WWE opened up its Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. It features multiple wrestling rings, promo classes, weight rooms, all with the goal of getting people ready to be part of WWE. Sometimes that means taking folks who have wrestled in the indies or around the world, or sometimes it means converting athletes from other sports and helping them learn to wrestle from scratch. Eventually, these talents will be put on WWE's online brand NXT before moving on to the main roster. If everything goes according to plan and the talent doesn't get hurt or fired, we're going to take a look at whether or not the WWE has been achieving that goal. To start out, let's look at NXT. Danielle, when NXT first got going, it was arguably the hottest brand in wrestling. Do you think NXT is still as exciting and fun as it was when it first came up? Oh, yeah. Like, it, and I think we were all afraid when there was kind of that mass exodus of first all of the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, you know, people got called up at the Rumble and then people got called up for the brand split. But I feel like they're doing such a good job of getting these hot talents that people know elsewhere and then like using them to train folks in house that I still feel excited and I still want to know where and you know every every time we lose a Bailey we get an Ember Moon right like you know Finn and Sammy and all those guys are gone but uh you know um Hiteo is back and like there's so it, it's not Every time you lose someone, you get someone who is also going to be dope. And maybe not like right away, but they do a good enough job of keeping people long enough so you have established people that you like. Um, I think it, the, the the trick, and they're doing it really well, but it's also a trick for us to set our expectations is, is like, you know, love the people that you love while you're there. Uh, while they're there because they won't be there forever. But again, if you're someone who um, knows a lot of these folks from the indies and from other scenes, you already know that that's how it works. So it's not like a huge surprise when your faves bail because you know something else amazing is going to come right after it. Yeah, I think NXT is one of those textbook looks at how to build, not even stars, but how to build a solid roster. If you look at what the roster looked like in 2014 when they did their first takeover, and then 2015, like the people who were there, who were cornerstones then were Tyson Kidd mm-hmm. and Tyler Breeze and Rusev, Bo Dallas and Paige. Yep. Th- that first, we think of them now as WWE people, even to a lesser extent, the Wyatts and the Shield we'll, we'll, we'll dig into in a little bit. But those were the people who helped build NXT. And then when it became its own brand, it... it it went from that group, that Rusev Dallas group, into Sami Zayn, Neville, uh, Kevin Owens, who was only there for a brief time, and then then that great women's division. I mean, they've done more, at least in the world of WWE, they've done more for women's wrestling in the last three years than had been done in the the however long it's been around before that. Right. right? Yeah, for sure. Um. And that's that's what I appreciate about NXT is, again, it's like we know that we love these guys, but we always know because we always like we're going to miss them because we love them. But you want your faves to go up and start selling shirts and kind of seeing how they do. And you know that you'll find new faves, you know, because, right. again, like I said, like Bailey's gone. But Ember Moon is like, oh, I needed her in my life because I need an unbreakable Sasha, man. I just need, <laughs> I just need, I, I just that maybe that's why I'm so excited about Naomi too. I'm like dope, just like, you know, uh, people-sized women who I don't have to worry about every time they go on the outside. 
Mike, we've seen a lot of talent graduate from NXT to the main roster, and sometimes it goes well, like, as I mentioned before, The Shield or the Wyatt family or Kevin Owens, and other times talents fizzle, like with the Ascension, uh, the vaude villains who've sort of faded away, uh, even a guy like Bo Dallas who came in uh, with, with some steam. So who have you been the most disappointed to see flop when they went to Raw or SmackDown? Man, I can't say I've necessarily been disappointed by anybody because I feel like when you're watching NXT for long enough, you get a good sense of who's going to make an easy transition up and who's going to be a little bit more difficult for. Yep. Uh, they get talent from all around the world, a lot of people who are very seasoned um, in independent wrestling. But when it gets to that level where the person figuring out what's going to happen with you uh, it's Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn and, and those sorts of people. It's kind of easy to tell. You know, you can tell that it's not going to be that good for Tyler Breeze. You can tell that um, it'll go a little easier for people who are, you know, built like the Shield. And, and it's not even that, I guess, if you, you know, taking on their own, Seth wasn't huge and Dean wasn't huge. Roman looks the part. Um, but they were established as a gimmick in NXT in such a way that transitioning them uh, was very easy. The Ascension, however, I had questions about them. Even in NXT, <laughs> when it was looking good, I had questions about how this was going to translate uh, to the main roster. Apollo Crews had questions, um, you know, because he was smiling too much. Um, Corbin, Corbin's been interesting because I thought when they, when they brought him up, he was kind of flat, but it seems like he's kind of taking hold a little bit on SmackDown. I am... I think I'm ultimately concerned for for what happens with Nakamura because he <laughs> is uh he's just dripping with charisma and there's so little charisma on the main roster that I would think they wouldn't need to do too much to him but we are talking about Vince whose history with with Asian characters oh boy. is is yep. not stellar so um I'm 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 concerned with how that's going to go but uh, I haven't been surprised much by what's happened so far. Yeah, I actually have to agree with that. Like, I feel like a lot of dudes, you know, if you were just kind of okay in NXT, there I don't know why there'd be any reason why you would be more than just kind of okay. You know, the VOD villains, they had a moment, and then by the time they were brought up, they weren't really, they were just kind of eh. And they hadn't really found much for Apollo other than, like, you know... I used to be big somewhere else, and I'm real happy to be here, guys. Well, he's so happy to be there. He's yeah. so happy. He's just thrilled. He's, he's thrilled. He's so grateful. But I, see, I I think Apollo Crews was brought up too soon. I agree. And I, maybe the vaudevillains weren't brought up soon enough. I agree. But they're like a really fun, entertaining tag team, mm -hmm. and there's room for them to to not only sort of be a presence on the roster, mm -hmm. but but to flourish. So it. it there's a difference between, well, we're going to throw them in there and it feels sort of last minute because there just weren't enough tag teams or, or whatever. So that to me is the blame falls on the book in that case. Mm -hmm. Baron Corbin, they brought him in, had him win the Battle Royale. And even though you didn't see him a lot after that, 
when you did see him, he, he's been built slowly. And I think there's a difference between being built slowly and not being built at all. Oh, yeah. I do think, I mean, obviously it's going to help if you've got heat coming out of NXT. It's going to help when you go over to the main roster. And I think that's a lot of what happened with Breeze is that Breeze was another one where maybe they should have pulled the trigger back when his gimmick was a little bit hotter. Because by the time he got there, it was like we were excited because it was like, oh, good for you. You did it. But the heat that he had from NXT had cooled off. So how do you capitalize on that when you come to the main roster? Right. But he's getting himself over again. Because now now he's on SmackDown and he he and Fandango are really entertaining pair. Yeah. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew someone was going to make Fandango interesting? And they can both work. Mm -hmm. So two people who can get themselves over plus two people who can work, they'll maximize their time. And th- that was that was Damian Sandow's thing. Mm. Was whatever you gave him, he maximized it. I think that the vaudevillains are able to do that as well, and they're on the right show to give them a path towards being better. I thought the Ascension, their initial introduction was good, but instead of making them legend killers, which would have been great, they made them get your butts kicked by legends. You're being disrespectful, so now we're going to take you over our knee and yeah. spank you. They got neutered immediately. Immediately they got neutered. They didn't do them any favors. I really thought that those initial video packages and things introducing them weren't very good, though. I didn't think that they were a modern way to establish a modern tag team. I think they were introduced in a way that would have worked in the 80s or or the early 90s. But just much like the Vaude Villains, they were brought up as a fully formed gimmick, but not in a way that anybody was able to translate what they're doing to people who hadn't seen them. And I think that's a problem that they have is that NXT is an established brand. It gets eyes, it gets viewers, but there is a disconnect between that and the main audience, not well, the main or, you know, the, the raw and SmackDown audience. And so they often have to pick and choose who they introduce, who they have vignettes for, how those vignettes work and, and, and have to be thinking ahead about how they're going to translate some of these characters. I mean, I thought, I thought Bo Dallas came out of NXT super hot. He had just kind of found that heel character and and was kind of rolling along. But once he started getting booked to lose, there was just nothing he could do. And now you see when the booking starts to work in his favor, if he starts to get a little little attention, it's not hard to pick up steam on him. But it's, it's interesting to see how quickly they've given up on some of these NXT characters when they don't click immediately. What? Do you, do you think then for, for NXT and the developmental system in general on their part, do you think that they need to do anything more with that talent to prepare them for the main roster? Because a lot of what we're talking about seems to be coming from the creative side. Creative is coming up with vignettes that don't sell the characters properly. This, they're, they're either brought in without storylines or very weak storylines. Is that something that can be solved in part at the developmental level? I think that the WWE in general is doing something that I find to be dangerous all over the place. And it's not just for NXT. It's even doing some of the things that they do on uh, Talking Smack or shoot interviews that they have with Stone Cold on the network. They're, a lot of times I think they're putting these guys in positions where they're not where – they're, where they're able to shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. Like you, you, they're giving them – like you know, Rope. some of these, yeah, exactly, and they're mm-hmm. and and they're they're like you you have, you're gonna have Dean Ambrose talk to Stone Cold, on what's supposed to be a free form, but then you're gonna get angry about some of the stuff he says, you know, um, you you train them to come out of NXT and how to perform, um, 
in a small room. And a lot of times that's not what's setting them up to succeed in a big room. And I'm wondering what some of that philosophy is where they're not thinking about putting these guys in the best position to succeed. And then sometimes putting them in positions where they can only fail. Yeah, I, that's true. I mean, they, they, they do at least have a promo class, which from what I see is learning to, at least when Dusty was doing it, was a lot of learning to just speak from the heart. And not everybody's going to be great at that. But you've got to give them, they need that rope. You've got to throw them into the deep end at some point. And then it's a question of whether you've given them the right tools and and then if you have, whether they know how to use those tools. And some people just aren't great promo people. Some people but, are see, better in the ring. They're not good toolsmiths. Yeah. They're not tools. <laughs> but, but that's, ex- tools that's exactly people. what I'm getting at, though. If you have a promo class where the lesson is to speak from the heart, is that putting them in a good position to where they get on the main roster and the promos have to be memorized? Right. right, 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 right. It's like, and suddenly you have like three paragraphs of stuff and it's like, well, but this doesn't sound like me. And it's like, well, we say what sounds like you. So yeah. Well, the, the WWE developmental system is going to be hit or miss like any developmental system will be. But after the break, we're going to put over three things from wrestling that were definitely hits. See what I did there? This is Tights and Fights. Tights and Fights. Hey there, European Max Funsters. Do not miss your chance to catch some of your favorite Max Fun shows live at the London Podcast Festival, September 22nd through 26th. See amazing guests like Armando Iannucci, Josie Long, and Romare on stage with Jesse Thorne during Bullseye, bust a gut at classic panel show hijinks with International Waters, and witness some tough but fair internet justice dispensed by Judge John Hodgman himself. The Beef and Dairy Network show is already sold out, but hey, at least you can enjoy being in the proximity of the premier expert on beef animals and dairy herds, right? More guests will be announced soon and tickets are going fast. Go to MaximumFun.org for tickets right now so you don't live a life steeped in regret. Tyson Bites Podcast. Tyson Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Loveland. With me in the booth are... Danielle Radford. And foreign correspondent... Michael Eagle. <laughs> to finish off the show, we're going to put over three things from the world of wrestling that we think deserve your attention. We call it the three count. Danielle, kick us off. What do you want to put over? Okay, I know I've been putting them over a lot, but I mean, they're great. Um, so, But this specifically, um, in the last Talk is Jericho, he interviewed his best friend, uh, Kevin Owens. And the whole interview is great, and it's all completely worth um, listening to. But I want to put over a specific moment where they talk a lot about Kevin Owens' real-life best friend, <laughs> Sami Zayn, um, and some of the problems that he's had. <laughs> Um, just relating to people in the back and how sometimes perfectionism um, will get you in trouble. So we'll go ahead and listen to that. I remember one time we were working with Cesaro. I think that you were involved as well. It might have been, I don't know, with some tag team. We had like 18 tag teams of you and me versus Cesaro and Sammy. Yeah. And one time Cesaro was trying to get something in. Sammy kept talking. Cesaro goes, can I say something, Sammy? And Sammy just went, no. And kept talking. <laughs> he didn't say <laughs> 
<laughs> but he didn't mean it that way. No, he was just like, no, was I, in, I, I got something going middle. on. Yeah, he was in the middle of rolling. <laughs> and he, like, Claudio kept trying to chime in. It's like, can I just say something? No, no. And then, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah no, I do remember. No, you but can't. they have a hilarious So uh, there that is, uh, Sammy. <laughs> and it's funny because um, the reason I'm putting it over is that's more personality from Sammy than we've gotten <laughs> since he's been called up. And it happens on a podcast. But that is like that that angle of him where it's like, no, he's not he's not a dick. He just is a perfectionist. He's been doing this for a long time. It was a nice little bit of personality insight on someone um, that they haven't really taken a lot of time to do that in the show other than being, I used to be friends with Kevin Owens and I really like wearing belts. <laughs> and I skanked to the ring. <laughs> Skank. Pick it up, pick it up. Pick, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Mike, what do you want to put over? Uh, speaking of uh, Kevin Owens' best friend, Chris Jericho, yeah. and Sami Zayn himself, Sami Zayn was on the highlight reel this week and they had a confrontation Sammy and Chris did and it culminated it climaxed with Sammy Zayn running down Chris Jericho and how him and Kevin had idolized Chris and, and other kind of undersized performing guys like Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero and he made sure not to say Chris Benoit <laughs> um and that made Chris Jericho very angry. Oh, Matt, oh no, I'm sorry, because he called him Kevin Owens' bitch, which was very biting and unexpected from Sammy. And um, Jericho goes for his cell phone and is about to list all of these things that Kevin told him Sammy might say. But instead of doing that, he does this. Before we came out here, I got a text from Kevin Owens telling me what to expect from you. You want to know what he said? I'll show you. Oh, man. My goodness. Oh. And a cold breaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? <laughs> um, and I, I just thought that was especially brilliant because in the writing of that, you're writing a moment where Chris Jericho is going to possibly start running off some of the kind of sillier things he's been saying lately. Uh, I thought it was just such a unique way to kind of introduce a weapon (laughs) into his hand. And then, um, and he hit him real good. He hit him real good. good. That was real solid. I get, oh, yeah. and I also, I'm sorry, I forgot to, I also want to, um, I didn't, I didn't want to put a, hugely put it over, but we got to see um, a little bit of Honky Talk Man on Lucha Underground last week, so I do feel like that deserved at least a mention. Okay, bye. Was he still cool, cocky, and bad? He was cool, cocky, and a cop. Oh, cool, copy, and bad. Cool, copy, and bad. Oh, somebody get me out of here. All right. <laughs> I want to put over something from Backlash, which in my opinion is actually the best pay-per-view of the year in terms of a solid all-around card. And specifically, the <laughs> the man Mark. who both Danielle and I beef with on Twitter, <laughs> Mauro Ranello. One of the best things that announcers do is work in those little like down home sayings where they're like, he got beaten like a Texas mule out behind the silo after the rain fell. And <laughs> Morrow doesn't do that, but he does work in a lot of modern references like this one during the women's six pack challenge for the title. Listen closely so you don't miss it. You know what? It's timely. <laughs> it's timely. He worked in an iPhone 7. He, Woof. If you want to know what's happening in the world, don't read the news. It's depressing. Just listen to Mauro Ranallo. He'll give you the rundown within matches. It's really convenient. Until David Otunga steps all over. Yeah. I mean, 
Look, I also really, really, really enjoy me some Bruce Leroy, but do you have to do a glow reference ever? I'm done. <laughs> We're all done. That does it for this week on Nights and Fights. We are a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Our hosts are Danielle Radford and Mike Eagle, along with me, Hal Lublin. Our producer slash GM is Julian Burrell. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Colin Anderson. Mike Eagle is also behind our theme music, so you thank him for that. I thank him. And Danielle thanks him. We speak your name, Mike. A lot of you have been doing great with sharing the show with your friends, so thank you so much. If you could, go leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars. Help us even more. There's plenty of wrestling happening every week, so let's keep the conversation going elsewhere. Find us on Twitter at Tights Fights. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash Tights Fights. We'll be back next week to talk about even more, you guessed it, wrestling. Tights and Fights Podcast. Tights and Fights. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.